You're listening to Shift, Human First Financial Guidance with Ross Marino. Today, we are shifting the conversation with Andrew Hatherley. Andrew is the founder of Transcend Retirement and the host of the Gray Divorce Podcast. And Andrew will be speaking at Shift 2024. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Ross. Glad to be here. So glad to have you on the show. You have a topic that is so important to talk about, needs to be talked about on podcasts, also needs to be part of any human first type of conference out there. And you're going to talk about gray divorce. And the first question that I want to ask about gray divorce, something I've been uh, thinking about is, is it just being talked about more frequently because people like to read about it and it seems like something we haven't heard of, or is it actually increasing dramatically? It is increasing, Ross. You know, uh, I refer people to a, a study put out by Susan Brown and Ethan Lin back in 2012. Um, it's an article called The Gray Divorce Revolution. And they they did some pretty deep academic research on the uh, increased rates of gray divorce. And uh, as life would have it, uh, I became a participant in the phenomenon only three years later in 2014, 2015 at the age of 52. So gray divorce is generally defined as divorce over the age of 50, hence the gray. Um, but what they found in studying the, the rates of divorce from 1990 to 2010 was that among U.S. adults aged 50 and older, uh, the divorce rate had roughly doubled for that group, um, and it even tripled for the 65 and older group. Just to give you an idea, in 1990, um, 8.7% of all people divorcing were over the age of, uh, of 50, and by uh, 2019, it was um, 36%, so slightly over a third of all people uh, getting divorced were over the age of uh, 50. The majority are still under 50, but the, the prevalent, the, the increases are really happening in the older population, um, uh, 50 plus, and even more so in the 65 and up group. That's a pretty amazing junk, jump when you think about it statistically. So you know, it, it begs the question, did something change? Is there a cause now that wasn't around before? I mean, what do you think is causing all the gray divorce? Well, I think I've kind of narrowed it down to, to five key issues. And I think the first would be simply the the acceptability generally of divorce in society. If we go back to the the sixties, even seventies, might have been more frowned upon socially. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the religious uh, uh, grounds against uh, against divorce may have may have lightened as well. But as the the populations as this population has gotten older, they've seen ch changes in society that maybe when they were in their 20s and 30s, they oh, can't get divorced. But by the time they reach their 60s, 70s, and I'm even seeing people in their 80s, um, you know, they realize that's no longer uh, such a taboo as it uh, as it used to be. And, you know, another thing is uh, so many people over the age of 50, 60, 70, they're in the second and third marriages. And it's an interesting phenomenon, but the divorce rates are higher for second and third marriages than they are even for first marriages. Um, I'm always kind of trying to dig a little bit as to why that's so, but um, but it's pretty pretty well documented. So 
um, with the older people coming also coming out of second and uh, and third marriages uh, as they get older. And of course, longevity. As people live longer, it becomes more likely that the marriage will break up, not solely due to the death of a partner, but also the choice of one partner to uh, to leave the marriage. Um, and when we're talking about the choice to leave the marriage, I think of two other uh, contributing factors. One is the increased economic independence of women. Certainly, women have enjoyed tremendous strides over the last 50 years, even the last 30 years, uh, in terms of economic well-being. So increasingly, they have more economic wherewithal um, to to make that decision, to, uh, to become uh, independent. And I think a fifth point that um, maybe isn't as discussed as much is the the personal development ethos or industry even uh in society we can't go to a, a bookstore without seeing stacks of books on um uh personal development being the best you that's that sort of thing that i mean we had it 20 30 years ago with anthony robbins but now i mean we've got Brene brown simon sinek mel brown i mean there's so much um and when people are breathing this in the oxygen this this idea of um you know you can you can do more with your life you can be happier and you've got more life to live because of life expectancy people are saying okay you know maybe i need to make the decision to um you know change things up a little bit i've only got uh, if i've got if i've got 20 or 30 years left let's make them a really good 20 or 30 years and perhaps better than the 50 or 60 I've lived already. So I think those are kind of the the key points I look at when asked, you know, why are we seeing increased rates of, uh, of divorce in later life? You mentioned people in their 20s, and I'd imagine getting divorced in your 50s and 60s has quite a few differences than someone in their 20s. Can you talk about maybe the differences in that? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a pleasurable experience at, at any stage in life, but I've, I've, I've seen one writer refer to it as a life quake for somebody who's perhaps been in a marriage for a very long time or had plans uh, for retirement um, or to be with a person um, for a very long time. It's a, it's a major disruption to their, to their lives. And, you know, it's, Coming later in life, as a financial advisor, you know we know that there's less time to to recover financially. For somebody in their twenties or thirties, you know it's t time in the market, not timing the market. Well, obviously, somebody who's uh, seeing half of their netting, not in netting, but half of their net worth potentially go away um, as assets are split fifty fifty or thereabouts. You know they've got uh, much less time than someone in their twenties and thirties to uh, to rebuild and to put that nest egg back together. So the importance of getting the decisions right while going through the divorce process and having a financial planning hat on while going through the divorce process uh, is uh, is very important. You know, um, I know when I was going through my divorce, uh, you know, I was hearing all sorts of scary things like, oh, you're going to have to work for the rest of your life now. Well, I had planned to retire at 60. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, fancy uh, going to the office at 85. Um, 
so this this can be a very traumatic thing to to hear and to go through but funnily enough i i felt found that i actually grew from that and i think older people have a much more ability to grow and change and develop than they think they do and so when i was going through this and i realized my retirement my vision of retirement would change getting divorced at 52 i be began to think well how can it, how can we change it but change it for the better and if i want to continue working past 60 or 65 maybe that's a good thing and so i started doing a lot of research about retirement and of course, this is in the minds of people who are divorcing later in life because they're thinking about retirement. And, you know, maybe they're balancing different ways of approaching retirement, you know, doing something different or um, what I like to say is emphasizing your strengths and the things that bring you energy. And so what I found was I'm quite happy not retiring at 60. As a matter of fact, I just turned 60. Um, I'm doing more at 60 in terms of presentations and uh, uh, getting out and uh, educating people about uh, the finances of, uh, of gray divorce um, and financial planning um, in a much different way than I was 10, 15 years ago. And it's exciting and uh, it brings me energy. And so I've rethought, well, you know, maybe it's not so much retiring from work, but it's making work more a part of my authentic self and doing and emphasizing some of the strengths that I have so that the work I have is more profound, more meaningful, and more uh, potentially inspirational um, to other people. So it's 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 quite a bit different for uh, for for older people. Um, you know, we've got those financial issues, and you know, the social issues are very very important as well. Um, you know, for good and for bad, but uh, you know, typically your social bonds that that have been established over decades, as opposed to five, ten years, are being frayed, and that can be quite a shock uh, to the system. And and hopefully, we can be open and learn as to how we can how we can deal with the deal with that shock. So, yeah, it's it's quite a bit different. There's differences also in the experience of divorce for men and for women. And I know that's part of your presentation. You'll talk yeah. about that at shift in 2024. And I'm sure on your podcast, you've gone over it many times. How about if you give a, a kind of a, just a short contrast of in general divorce, how it impacts women and how it impacts men in the gray divorce world? You know, my research has shown, and, and I recently read a really good book by Joyce Crowley about gray divorce. And she pinpoints it. Women tend to experience more of an economic penalty in divorce than men. Now, having said that, men don't come out of divorce any better uh, than they were beforehand uh, on the economic uh, on the economic front. You're seeing half of your net worth being split, and uh, you know essentially more expenses because you're now supporting two households. But Brown and Lynn, who was academics from from Bowling Green University, they um, they did a study uh, last year about the economic uh, uh, impact of of gray divorce, and they showed that typically the woman's standard of living drops by about forty five percent, and the man's typically drops by about twenty five percent. Now that's not to say men don't have, as I said, economic consequences as well, but typically it tends to hit women a little harder. What's interesting is though on the social front, 
divorce tends to hit men a little harder. So we have, you know, on one hand, the economic penalty of divorce, and on the other hand, the no less important social penalty of divorce. And, you know, typically in a marriage, not always the case, I don't want to generalize too much, but certainly a lot of research has been done on this, is that the wife tends to be the social organizer in the household. And the man goes, well, you know, uh, kind of goes along for the ride, said, oh, we're doing this this weekend with the Petersons. So, okay, you know, but when after divorce, that kind of social coordination falls to the wayside. Also, men's relationship with the adult children tends to be more harshly hit. And that may be because of maternal bonds or any any number of things that may be due to the reason for the divorce. But uh, the, uh, the, the, the male spouse's uh, bonds with the adult children uh, and friends tends to be a little bit more, uh, more frayed. And men, for whatever reason, and I think it might have something to do with our nature and our biology, is that we find it more difficult to make friends with other men later in life. Um, you know, a lot of research has been done about loneliness. And while loneliness certainly affects women, it does appear to be more pronounced uh, among men who just seem to have more difficulty um, making male friends. So when I look at, uh, you know, the impacts of divorce and, and some of the things that we try to overcome or or, or, or work against uh in a positive way and, and i like to incorporate you know positive psychology in this is certainly the economic impact which tends to be more profound for women and the social impact which tends to be more profound for men final question for you what does human first financial guidance mean to you well humans are first you know i always uh i I, I, I like the the Harvard study, you know, the Harvard study of adult development, which started way back in the 30s, and I think they they came out with uh, some new some new research for it uh, within the last couple of years, but it showed that the most important things to a healthy, long, contented life was relationships. Money is important, obviously. We need to put food on the table and we need to have shelter. Um, but once we get past those kind of basic necessities of life, it's people, it's humans first, and it's relationships which uh, which uh, make us happy and content in life. And so that's what I think when I think human first, and that's why my financial advisory practice and my and my divorce practice I try to incorporate the the human psychological uh, element. Um, as much as the financial, of course, I am a financial planner, financial advisor, but I think money should be the tool to help us um, to help us find that contented, meaningful, purposeful life. We should use money as a tool and not see money as a as an end in itself, particularly when it comes to you know comparisons with with others or or shows of uh, ostentatious shows of uh, of uh, richness. And I notice I distinguish between richness and wealth. There's quite a distinction there. So um, I think uh, ultimately uh, we're we're not we're not islands with a pile of cash. You know, we are we are people, and that money should be uh, should be serving us. 
Appreciate that answer. I know you're on the agenda and we look forward to seeing you at Shift 2024. And Andrew, thanks for being on the show today. I really look forward to it. I'm really excited about presenting at Shift 2024. It's my favorite conference. Thank you for listening to Shift with Ross Marino. Please visit humanfirst.live to learn more. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results.